are in the middle of a series on 1 Samuel. I used to be a grade 9 Bible teacher, and uh, I lived to tell about it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an interesting uh, group of kids to share Jesus with as they ricochet through life. Uh, and what, my, uh, what the curriculum was is I taught on 1 Samuel. And so this has been a book that has been dear to my heart for years and years and years. And uh, it's been fun to go through this together with you. We're now at 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. But I want to begin by asking a question of you. Um, what do people typically base their relationship with God on? If you were to give somebody a microphone and say, you know, why are you a Christian or why do you believe what you believe? Uh, what would they, what kind of answers would you hear? I think that uh, typically we would talk about, I had an experience of God. And uh, I don't know, just something happened and I just knew that I should believe. Or I had an answer to prayer. And I really, really prayed for something and God answered that prayer and that's why I'm a Christian. That's really legitimate. Or I had a feeling. I was up on a mountaintop and, you know, the sun was setting and uh, it was just a, a, a beautiful day and I just, there, I just felt something. Other people would say it was the most logical thing for me to do. Uh, I, I thought it through. I, I thought of all the evidence and I, and I made a logical decision. I think that the primary way uh, that we build our relationship with God is based on this thing that we're going to look at today called evidence. It's based on evidence. And that makes total sense, right? I mean, what else are you going to base something on? Especially we live in a kind of a scientific time. And so evidence is always going to win. And we have biblical support for this. In Matthew 11, chapter 3, uh, John uh, the Baptist is wondering whether Jesus is the dude, whether he's the guy that they've been waiting for. And so this is how Jesus responds to John's uh, question. Are you the one who has come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. That's evidence. So you want to know if I'm the Christ, if I'm the Messiah? Here's the evidence. Here's the proof. Uh, one of the things that we, we say in our church, it seems sometimes that uh, in North America, miracles are a little less frequent than in other parts of the world. So I tell people, for uh, $2,500, you can experience a miracle. <laughs> it's a good deal. Uh, you go to a, a group, they're called Impact Nations. I've been on a, a few trips with them, so has my wife Debbie and Toby. And uh, you just, you'll go to somewhere around the world and you will heal someone and see somebody be healed. There. So if you doubt that God heals today, 2,500 bucks, it's all good. And you'll have the evidence that you need to believe that God does these things today. So there's, an, there's a promo for Impact Nations. Now, uh, let's now look. So evidence is a big deal for us. I think it is. So God finally, now in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 9, 
he now gives to Israel what they have been longing for. They wanted a king, and so he gave it to them. And the evidence that this is a good idea is super convincing. Look at what it says in uh, verse 1 of 1 Samuel 9. It should be up on that screen. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. That's a cool name. He had a, so he's a man of standing, so he comes from good stock. And he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Super good looking, tall, dashing, what a guy. And then it says in uh, chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? So not only is he really good looking and tall and handsome, he's anointed by God. And then it says in verse 6, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. You're going to prophesy and you will be changed into a different person. Like this just gets better and better. Talk about convincing evidence that this is God's all over this. And once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. So I am so confident that you just do whatever you want. The hand of the Lord is with you. Uh, shortly after this, there's a city called Javesh, or however you pronounce it. They're going through a really difficult time, being attacked by the Philistines. Um, Saul rallies the whole nation uh, uh, against the Philistines, delivers the city. This is looking really, really good for Israel. All the evidence is lining up that this is God's man in this hour, and it's just making total sense. Everybody's super happy. But look how the story ends. Uh, it begins to go down in chapter 13. It says, you acted foolishly. So uh, there was another uh, skirmish against the Philistines, and Samuel said that he was going to come on a particular day. It's going toward the end of the day, and he's still not there, and he's waiting for Samuel to offer a sacrifice so they can experience God's blessing before they go into battle. Samuel doesn't show up soon enough. The people are starting to wander away, and so Saul takes matters into his own hands and offers the sacrifice instead of Samuel. And this is what Samuel says when he shows up just a little bit later on the day that he said he would come. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. Now your, own ki now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him a leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So what started off really, really well quickly starts to not go well at all. And uh, we're going to unpack in the coming weeks just how poorly it goes with salt. Now, I think this can be true for us. God often gives us what we ask for. What kind of things do you ask for? I think God gives us these things. Uh, we ask for a feeling. We want some evidence. We say, God, I'm feeling a little bit dry. Uh, don't feel really close to you. So I would really like a spiritual feeling if you don't mind. And so maybe we will go for that hike up, up on a mountain or, or go to the ocean or, or sit somewhere and we wait for a feeling to come on us that's going to confirm who God is. And then we'll go and we'll say, you know, I got a prophetic word or, or I, I had an experience and I just, I feel close to God again. 
We needed just a little bit of evidence, and God, in his kindness, gives us that often. Sounds fine. Uh, maybe we're hoping for a job or a better job. Uh, things just aren't going well at work, and so we pray and we go, oh, God, what I really need, if you're God, I'm going fo- to follow you, but man, I, I really need this job. I, I need to know that you're alive in my life, and I'm not just walking through life doing my own thing. Could you please give me the job that I'm dreaming about? Or romance. You know, God, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to love you, but it's lonely down here. And uh, I could use a partner. So would you please, would you please help me with that? And I'm, I'm just asking you, uh, I, I promise I'll be pure and devoted, but I could just really use that special someone. And so God answers our prayer. And for as long as the evidence is good, so is our relationship with God. Oh, I'm just on cloud nine. Thank you, Jesus. She's beautiful. Or I got the ultimate job. Or I had that experience. You are God. And I know it now because of of the evidence of what I'm experiencing. Thank you so much. The problem is it doesn't always end well. As we see the evidence started well with Saul, it didn't end well. That's often true for us. I think it's always true um, that romance can end up in a breakup. It can also end up in a marriage. And if you've been married, you know it's not always great. And so if our uh, experience of God is based on the evidence and we're having a rough patch in our marriage, now God's being brought into question. Or the feeling that we had faded. Well, now what? Or the job that was our dream job, a new boss came, and this is not good. Now what do we do? The the evidence that convinced us to now worship and follow God has churned on us, and now it becomes evidence against God. It gets tricky, doesn't it? And so uh, we can be the kind of people that are chasing after better and better evidence. Uh, We were talking the other day, Divi and I, there's a, a, a movement that isn't kind of as popular as it was about 20 or 30 years ago, but it's a... Now, kind of what remains of that movement is vineyard churches. But there was a, there was a guy, his name was John Wimber. And uh, back in the day, he was the dude. And I remember the first time he came to Vancouver, and it was signs and wonders time. And I'd never, uh, I'd never seen two things happen at once. Somebody with biblical integrity, which I really care about, and a demonstration of the power of God. And it was... Uh, it was amazing. I remember this one time, uh, we're, we're in a, an auditorium and there's over a thousand people there. And Wimber says, uh, the spirit of God is, and he points like this, is moving across this auditorium and he goes in this direction right now. And I just happened to be, I'm, I'm facing forward and, uh, and we were in uh, prayer groups at that moment. And I watch, starting here, people start to weep. 
and cry. And it moves, as his finger moves, it moves across the auditorium. And people are facing me. They're not paying attention to him because we're in these prayer groups. And as the Spirit of God moves across, they're not even knowing what, they break into tears and God's presence is on them. I go, well, that's amazing. Where do I get another one of these conferences? And so Debbie and I just were on a plane all the time. We were Wimber groupies uh, just seeing uh, lame people walk in the blind sea. And it was, it was life-changing for us. Ne- I'll never forget that time. My mentor speaks of a time. It was, it was called in, in church history now, they call it the, the Jesus People Movement. And this happened in about the 70s, around there, kind of 60s, 70s in that time. And it was, a, it was an amazing time. And uh, he would describe what, came, what happened here in Vancouver. He says that this was the time of hippies, and they were all going to Tofino and to Long Beach, right? So they knew this. And so what they did is they, they bought or they rented a bus, and they would pick people up at the Second Narrows Bridge and drive them to the ferry terminal. And you've got a captive audience for half an hour. And so what they would do is they'd preach the gospel to them. They'd all get saved, uh, drop them off at the ferry, go back, pick up another batch, save them on the, <laughs> on the drive to the ferry. And they just kept doing that. It's cool ministry, yeah. And uh, so I asked my mentor, you know, uh, how long did that go for? He says it went for a couple years. It was amazing. He says, the, the way that you would lead somebody to Jesus is you would open your mouth. Like the evidence was phenomenal. And then he said this to me. He says, as fast as it started, it ended. And he says, for years, we couldn't bribe somebody to become a Christian. <laughs> like nobody wants to be a Christian. And I go, what did you do? He says, I got depressed for two years. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do ministry outside of revival. This is interesting, isn't it? So you have evidence that's clearly from God. Clearly. Not hocus pocus. True things going on. And then sometimes the evidence switches. And it becomes an opposite experience. And this, of course, is a worrisome thing, is it not? That if our relationship with God is based on that evidence and the evidence moves, where's our relationship with God? Now, here's what's interesting about this. Um, uh, And so we end up rejecting God, right? Because the evidence went away. Now, here's what's interesting about the story in 1 Samuel. Their rejection of God, now follow me on this, because this is the tricky part. The rejection of God actually started before the evidence switched. And I'm going to explain why. But it says in 1 Samuel 8, 7, when they're already asking for a king. So this is already, this is just the prayer part. It hasn't even got to the evidence yet. But it's the prayer part. And they go, we want a king. And then he speaks some words. And he says, this is what's going to happen. You don't want this. And they say, we do. And then God says, they've rejected me. Now, this is a fascinating thought that 
they rejected God in their request for evidence, not just when the evidence changed. So there's something about needing evidence that's already taking us down a slippery slope of rejecting God. You follow me on this? This is a big deal. So you haven't even got discouraged yet, but you're being set up by what you're wanting to base your relationship with God upon, which is some kind of external evidence that's going to prove something that you think your heart desperately needs. And if you don't have it, you're going to question God. But you're already questioning God, and so the evidence actually won't help. The reason we reject God is not because we're disappointed. Now, when I talk to people, the number one reason why they don't follow God is because of their disappointments. Far and away. Something horrible happened in their life. Uh, a prayer wasn't answered. Somebody that they loved was hurt. They, they, they wanted, and it didn't happen. The evidence didn't show up. And so that's what they will say is the reason why they're not following Jesus now. But it's actually not that. It's because we're relating to God on our own terms. And evidence is a way to relate to God on what we think we need, not on what he says that we need. And that sets us on a course that's doomed to failure. Wow. Are you following me on this? It's a setup. It's a setup. God, if you do this, I'll follow you. And that little if is the problem. The if is the problem, not whether he answers the prayer or not, whether the evidence is good enough for us or not. That's the problem. Hence, Luke eleven twenty nine. This is a wonderful verse that I'm sure we all have memorized. This is a wicked generation. <laughs> it asks for a sign. So, I mean, okay, this is hard because we have Matthew 11. Somebody asks for a sign and Jesus gives it to them. Look at what I did. And then he says, you wicked generation for asking for a sign. Like, make up your mind. Which is it? Do we get to have the signs or not have the signs? Just let me know, and I'm in. But I'd like to know which way to go on this. <clears throat> but it's wickedness to ask for a sign that shifts our trust off of God himself and onto what he produces for us. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And I think we're all guilty of this problem. That it seems as though God's on trial and not us. And our society seems very comfortable with putting God on trial. If you're good enough for me, if you do this, this, and this, if you convince me logically, if you give me this emotional experience, if you answer this prayer, then maybe I'll follow you. But the whole foundation of the relationship was built on our judgment of God instead of humility. And you can't build a relationship on that foundation. So then, what should we rely upon? Because for sure, there's some kind of evidence that God wants to give us because, I mean, you have to found it on something. What is the evidence that God wants us 
to build our relationship with him upon. And I would say it's this, God's word. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this, man does not live on bread alone, otherwise known as evidence. Man does not live on bread alone, on the things that we think we need, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, that's a hard sell. <laughs> that's a hard sell. Like, come on, I'm going to follow you while I'm hungry. There's a saying in evangelism, and I won't quote it well, I, I didn't write it down, but that uh, people can't hear the good news on an empty stomach. It's a mission saying, where if you're going to be loving somebody, you've got to feed them first before you preach the gospel, or they actually can't hear you because there's not sufficient evidence that the words that you say are trustworthy. Yet, God seems to say, Man does not live on evidence alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, that eventually our relationship with God needs to be built on what he says, not just what we experience. And that creates a solid relationship. In Psalm 119.42, it says, I can answer anyone who taunts me. Now, this is an interesting phrase. I can answer anyone who taunts me. Taunts me is where is your God, otherwise known as where is your evidence. Wow. I can answer anyone who questions my evidence, for I trust in your word. Now, what a shocking foundation for a life. In the face of, of, of anti-evidence, I am confident in my relationship with God because I trust in the word of God and that is my life's foundation and that is enough for me. This is a different way of thinking. This is a different way of building our life. No offense millennials, but this won't go well for the next minute. I, I watch the next generation skipping from evidence to evidence and not reading your Bible. And that's dangerous because there'll never be enough evidence to give you a solid and enduring relationship with God. And when somebody taunts you and says, where is your God? Unless you know his word, there will never be enough evidence for you to not feel shaken when the world comes against you. <clears throat> uh, tying this back to 1 Samuel, God speaks his word. He speaks a warning. You don't want to do this. You don't want, you don't want a king. This is what they'll do to you. He speaks and listen to their response. No, we want a king. We want evidence. Okay, that's just brazen. The problem uh, with how they wanted a king was that it was contrary to what God spoke. And that's why the evidence was so messed up. It was contrary to what God was telling them to do. 
I feel as though I would go crazy if I didn't have my Bible. I'm not sure I could make it through a day without reading his word. I read my Bible not because I'm a good Christian, but because I'm not a good Christian. And I need his word in my heart every day. And I'll be honest with you. I, if you're not reading your Bible, let's just say regularly, because we all, you know, we all miss a day or whatever. If you're, I don't know how you're doing it. I really don't know. And I'm not, I'm not putting judgment on you. I'm just saying I'm shocked that you're here, which is the grace of God. But I want you to know that that's not going to serve you well over the years. And when it's time, you know, if you're younger, it's time to have a family and you have the pressures of life and you're not sleeping much and uh, kids are crying and you don't know whether you can pay if you manage to get a mortgage, which I guess is a good thing. And, uh, if, you know, if all that's happening and you don't already have a pattern of being in his word every day, because it won't be any easier than right now if you're under, you know, 25. Um, and if, you, if there's not a pattern now, it's just going to get harder and harder. And then you're going to start to wonder where God is. And you're going to start to demand more evidence. And you're going to pray harder. But the problem is not your prayers and it's not the evidence. Is you've not laid a foundation of knowing the word of God and standing upon his truth. You know, I, I read my Bible and the, I just... There are days when my world is just swirling around me. It feels like I can't, I can't grab hold of something evidence solid enough to keep me sane. Do you, do you know what I'm saying by that? It's just nothing's making sense. I'm asking for things and the opposite happens. And I, and I hope for this and I, and I want a particular feeling inside of me and none of that's going on. I'm not feeling anything. God seems a million miles away. And there's one thing I know to do, read my Bible. And when I read my Bible, I'm in the presence of my Father. And I don't know why, but I'm changed there. Nothing changed. The evidence is still stacked against me. But I've met with him. And his word is true. And I, I trust it to be true. And in that place, I find hope and peace and joy. And nothing changed and everything changed. And here's the grand irony. When I've met with my father and I study his word and rest in his presence, I go out into the world and there's now evidence of him everywhere. Tons of evidence. Look at him there. Look at him. This is incredible. And now my life has changed. And the evidence all stacks up. Because the first thing was the first thing. I was in the word of God. And there's no replacement for that. So in conclusion, upon what is your relationship with God based? Upon what 
is your relationship with God based. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 says this. Jews demand miraculous signs. Prove it to me. Give me a sign. Give me evidence. Greeks look for wisdom, a different kind of evidence. Be logical enough for me. But we preach. We preach the word of God. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. We preach a gospel that's built on the truth of God. And unless you receive the truth, you'll never see the evidence. So is the truth about Jesus enough for you? Is the truth about who Jesus Christ is? There's one piece of evidence that everything hinges upon, and it's the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And will you let that truth be enough for you to build your life upon? And if it's not, nothing else ever will be, because nothing can replace that foundation. And so in conclusion, I ask you to do one simple thing. Read your Bible. Read your Bible and trust in his word. Trust in his word. Uh, Father, we ask. We know that this is hard. <clears throat> we know that this is hard, but we also know that there is no other foundation that we do not live by what our eyes see or our heart demands. It, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a bottomless pit of expectations. And it puts, it puts us over you as judge and jury. And we now, as it said in Deuteronomy 8, we want to be humbled. We want to come under you. And we do that by trusting in your word by trusting in what you say is true. And so I ask that you would give us the grace to not run after science, to not run after clever ideas in yet another podcast, but that you would give us the grace to rest and sit in your presence and hear directly from our Father words of life. Would you convict our hearts to be people of the word.